Hi, welcome to Summit Church. We are one church in multiple locations in Central Florida. We believe that your story, told truthfully, is good news to those who are near to God and those who are far from God. And no matter where you find yourself, you are welcome here. Join us in listening to this week's sermon. Hey, what's up, Summit Church? So glad that you are watching with us today from wherever you are, whether you are at home on the couch, you're in your office space, you're with some friends or neighbors, or you're just listening to us uh, via your phone, whatever you may be, we're so glad that you're joining us today. I'd love for you at some point to fill out the connect card from the QR code that's on your screen, because we would love to connect with you. We'd love to tell you more about why Summit Church is is the place to be. Well, when I became a follower of Jesus in 1999, I understood that Jesus had died on the cross for my sins and that I owed my life to him in response to that action. Now, to me, knowing that someone was willing to give up their life for mine really was one of the catalysts for my desire to follow Jesus. But I'd be lying if I told you that I fully understood exactly what Jesus had endured to accomplish what he did on the cross. I mean, to me, a 14-year-old at the time, I thought that Jesus was put on this cross and he was like smiling the whole time and people were like marveling at this guy who was so kind as to take on our sins. That there was this beautiful ceremony that the whole town showed up and that even the officials who were putting him on the cross felt really bad for having to do it. It wasn't until 2004 when I finally started to try to learn for myself what really happened that I heard about this new movie that was coming out called The Passion of the Christ. Now, this movie's intention was to depict the final 12 hours of Jesus's life on the day of the crucifixion in Jerusalem. Mel Gibson, one of the movie's writers and director, desired to give moviegoers a glimpse into this epic tale of what Jesus endured that day. Now, I don't agree with everything displayed in that movie, Mel Gibson's version of that movie was based on his own faith experience that in some ways don't align with what we read in scripture. But as we believe around here at Summit, all truth is God's truth. And it was in those moments of watching this movie that it really became strikingly and profoundly clear to me that what Jesus endured on the cross that day was anything but beautiful and celebratory. I'll spare you the images from that movie, but I remember walking away thinking, why? Like, he went through all of that for me? But why? Now, if this is your first time or first time in a long time joining us today, we're in a series called Perspectives of the Cross. And what we're doing is, is taking this six-week journey right up to Holy Week, the week in the, the church calendar where Jesus' followers remember his death, burial, and celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And we're asking the very simple question, what is the point of the cross? And what we're doing is analyzing that question from a few different perspectives, God, Jesus, Satan, sin, and finally us. And today, I wanna to talk about that perspective through the lens of Jesus and how the point of the cross was obedience. Now, to understand this perspective, we have to understand how we ourselves approach this idea of Jesus on the cross. Like we all like to think that we fully grasp the gravity of this moment and that we understand the very nature and reason for the cross even before the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of our hearts. But that isn't reality. Before you and I decided to follow Jesus, the message and, pow and the power of the cross were a complete nonsense to us. 
I mean, just look at the writings we find in the New Testament of Paul to the church at Corinth. He would write that the message of the cross wouldn't make sense to us apart from the Holy Spirit being in us. Now, for some context, Paul is writing to a group of people who are trying to live out this new truth, this gospel of Jesus in a city that was absolutely opposed to the very idea of Jesus. Now, they're mocking the gospels and anyone who believes it. So Paul, he writes to encourage those following Jesus. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. Now, to anyone who looks and observes or reads about what Jesus did on the cross without the Holy Spirit inspiring their hearts, I mean, it comes across as foolish. Another translation uses the word silliness. So before any of us actually accepted this as a reality, we considered the very idea that Jesus would give up his life for others as an absolutely ridiculous idea. Like if I were to ask you right now, who would you die for? Many of you would, would quickly say, well, like, oh, I die for my best friend or my spouse or my, my kids or my parents, uh, uh, backstage passes to Taylor Swift concerts, right? But then if you really thought about it, you would realize that it's a hope that you would, but you don't actually know if you would do it, if faced with the option. Why? Because as humans, death isn't the thing we just run to freely without apprehension. That's why Paul says that anyone who is headed for destruction, those who don't follow Jesus, his dying on the cross seems absolutely foolish. It makes no sense. However, for those of us who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, those of us who have committed our lives to being followers of Jesus, we recognize that what Jesus did on the cross is the very thing that ushers in our salvation. It is our strength and it is the gift that God offers us. But even to us sometimes, the idea of Jesus on the cross, the image we get of him being nailed to it, stabbed, mocked, and ridiculed, it's hard to stomach. You see, we like baby Jesus in a manger, right? We, we like, like, we're like Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights, right? Who prays to the six, ounce, se six pounds, seven ounce little baby Jesus. And, and we can handle that version of Jesus because that's much easier of a Jesus to get our heads around. Soon we'll all gather on Easter Sunday with thousands of people to celebrate the resurrected Jesus. And regardless of whether we believe he was resurrected from the dead or not, because this idea of Jesus is more appealing than a bloodied and beaten version of Jesus hanging on a wooden tree shaped into a cross. Like, what do we do with that Jesus? How do we, how do we understand why he would choose to die for us? Well, that's where we need to see and understand this perspective of obedience and why it really matters. It's not only that Jesus had to die, he also chose to die at the behest of God the Father. Now, in week one of this series, Kaylee explained that Jesus was God's plan for reconciling his creation back to him. And to be God's plan meant that Jesus would have to choose to obey the orders given to him by his father, which in contrast was the exact opposite of what we chose to do. Now, here's what I mean. You know, we believe God created everything, our whole universe. And because of this, only God can determine what is good and what is evil. You can check out that whole teaching in our Origins of Redemption series. Now, because God is creator, he gets to determine the rules for his creation, not us. 
And at the same time, God wants a real relationship with us. And a real relationship, by its very definition, cannot be forced. So God offers us the opportunity to choose him as he chooses us. And if we choose him, however, we don't get to dictate the terms of the relationship. He does. Because he's the creator and we are the creation. Like the clay doesn't get to tell the potter how to shape it. It doesn't get to determine the conditions by which the potter has access to it. So God creates humanity and gives them all they would need to live and sustain and define fulfillment. God is going to be their God and they're going to be his people. And they would have direct and immediate access to God without inter without any intermediary, without a veil, without someone needing to stand in the gap for them. And all that God asked is that we would obey his one and only command. He asked us to trust in him and trust in his determination of what is good and what is evil. Trust that he had our best interests in mind and trust that he would not steer us wrong. That's what obedience would have looked like for us at the beginning of it all. And yet we chose to go our own way and do our own thing. We believe the lie that it was us, humanity, creation, that determined what was good and what was evil. Not the creator determining that, no, creation. We literally did the one thing God told us we couldn't do. And so that one choice, that one decision was an act of rebellion. It made us, instead of co-rulers with God in this perfect paradise, as Don Carson, professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School puts it, it made us a race of rebels. And let me tell you, this race of rebels has been in an active rebellion ever since, outright disobedient. I mean, look at the degradation of the world since that moment. New Testament writer and church leader Paul writes this. He says, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness and sin and greed and hate and envy and murder and quarreling and deception and malicious behavior and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand and break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice require that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyways. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Now, two things. One of my favorite things to do at the end of a long day after work and, and spending time with my family, I sometimes like to wind down the day by getting on Facebook community groups. Now, have you heard of these before? Now, I don't really use Facebook anymore except to check out these community groups that I'm a part of. Now, I'm not talking about like our Summit Orlando or Summit Lake Mary campus community pages. No, no, I'm talking about the neighborhood group pages. And if you're not sure, then get on Facebook, go to groups, I believe, and, and look up your neighborhood and you'll likely find a page or group dedicated to the happenings in your area of town. Now, I don't get on there to see if someone is selling something or if someone's looking for a dentist to take their kids to. No, no, no. I'm strictly there to read the comment section on all the posts. Let me tell you, the comment section, the comment section is literally the greatest and worst creation of all of social media. It's the worst because people get on what I like to call, they get their keyboard muscles. You know, they, they, they'll say things through their keyboard that they would never say face to face to someone. And quite literally, the worst of humanity comes out. However, on the other side is the greatest because people can be downright hilarious. 
I don't know if you remember back in 2019 when a group of people decided that they were going to storm Area 51 to rescue aliens. So they created a Facebook invite with the description saying, and I quote, we will all meet up at Area 51 Alien Center tourist attraction and coordinate our entry. If we Naruto run, we can move faster than their bullets. Let's see them aliens. I'm serious. And let me tell you, almost 30,000 people responded yes to this invitation. Well, some people got on the community pages and created similar invites. And I enjoy getting on there and just reading the comments. And no joke, and I normally end my community group reading session by doing the same thing every time. I think, man, you know, these people are crazy. And I ask God to show them Jesus. Now, it's easy for me to just think those people are crazy. Those people are the ones who really need Jesus. I can even do that when I read a verse like this. Like I can find myself thinking about all the people who would fit into this description that Paul gives us, all the people who are guilty of this. But Paul isn't just talking about those people. He's talking about this person, you, race of rebels, it's not about some other group of people. It's about, it's not about those people. It's about all of us. If you are human, you are part of this race of rebels. Now, here's the, the second thing. Look at that list, a list constructed thousands of years ago. Let me ask you, how much has changed since that list was compiled? Have we gotten any better or are we worse than ever before? We are a race of rebels living in active rebellion and constant disobedience in opposition to God. I mean, change time periods, change political structures, change who the influencers are, change the ease of how humans connect with each other, and you will get the same effect, our disobedience, our inability to obey God, to heed his one and only ask of us, let us into exile, not once, not twice, not three times, but multiple times over and over again, exiled in many different ways. And on our own, there was nothing we could do to ever satisfy the justice God deserved in our in-your-face act of rebellion. There was no mending fences. There was no patching up the relationship. No couples therapy was gonna fix this situation for us. Now, let's contrast that with Jesus. From the very moment Jesus arrived as God in the flesh, taking on human flesh, he had one mission and one mission only, to become the bridge by which creation, humanity, is reconnected with its creator. Jesus knew that from the jump, he was going to give his life as a ransom from the world. Before he'd even started his public ministry phase of his time on earth, we saw Jesus being declared the one who would rescue humanity. It says the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, this was God's plan and will for Jesus. And he would die on our behalf and God would place every single sin, past, present and future, all of humanity's sins on the cross on Jesus. This is what was asked of Jesus by God. Now, think about that for a second. Give some consideration to the situation Jesus is in. 
Here you have someone who has never, ever, not even once considered doing anything remotely close to sin. And I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't tempted. I'm not saying that he didn't face the same desires and temptations as we do. In fact, I'm saying the exact opposite. He dealt and faced every temptation you and I face on a consistent basis. And yet he did not give in. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The writer of the book of Hebrews puts it in this way, that the writer says this, the high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings. He faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. You see, Jesus didn't deserve the death he suffered, but he received the death we deserve. Jesus obeyed his father's will to perfection, not only in suffering, but also in life. Jesus lived out God's perfect will the entire time he was on earth. Everything God asked of Jesus, Jesus did. Why? Why does it matter? Well, go all the way back to the beginning of this unfolding story, right? God created Adam and Eve and notice that Adam was called a son of God. In a rundown of Jesus' ancestral line, Luke, who writes this, writes this. He says, Canaan, who was the son of Enosh, Enosh, who was the son of Seth, Seth was the son of Adam, and Adam was the son of God. Now, that title, son of God, is used to describe someone with a special and intimate relationship with God. Adam was the first person to be called that. The nation of Israel was called the son of God. The angels, because of their direct created nature from God, were called that. Jesus says that those who are peacemakers will be children of God. And just like the very first human relationship God had with Adam, God demanded in all of those relationships obedience. But Adam disobeyed. The nation of Israel disobeyed. Angels disobeyed, fallen angels. And those of us who have said yes to following the way of Jesus have disobeyed. The only one who has not, who has done what he was supposed to be done, who has obeyed God in all the ways, all the way to the cross was Jesus. But Michael, Jesus was divine. He was God. And of course he was going to be perfect. Perfect is as perfect does. Well, I mean, yeah, you would be right and you would still be missing the point. Yes, Jesus was divine. Yes, he was God. But Jesus didn't leverage his divinity in how you may think he did while on earth with us. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, writes this. He says, though he was God, speaking of Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. You see, Jesus would basically set aside his equal relationship with God, the Father, in order to be the bridge, the barrier breaker, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who would be slain for the world. Now, this also means that Jesus faced every temptation, every desire, every chance of anger, depression, loneliness, and every emotion you and I experience on the daily. 
Like I sometimes like to imagine that on one of those long days when the crowd is obsessively following and when the disciples are asking too many questions and when the religious leaders are really getting on Jesus' nerves, my man opens up his outer part of his robe and it reveals a t-shirt that says half holy, half hood. Pray with me, don't play with me, right? Because he experienced all the same things we did. In every aspect of his life on earth, Jesus was obedient, even when things were hard, when it seemed like the pressure was mounting, when he felt lonely, when the human part of him wanted no part of God's plan to redeem the world, Jesus obeyed. Look at, look at what Jesus says right before he's arrested. He prays to God. He says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. But catch this, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus is saying, God, basically my flesh says no, but my spirit is willing as you will. Jesus did what we could not do in order for us to have communion with our creator. Let me ask you, as you are journeying through this season of Lent, contemplating as Kaylee reminded us, who is at the center of our lives, what does obedience look like for you? What areas of your life have you been withholding from God? Where have you been outright disobeying God's command in your life? Where, whatever that is, however it is, don't you think it's time that you take the posture of Jesus, the posture of not my will, but your will be done. You might be watching this today saying, I've been living disobedient to God's call in my life. I, I now understand that my life apart from Jesus is not a life worth living. If that's you today, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus and follow him all the days of your life in obedience to what he has said to you, can I tell you, it's as simple as, now it's not easy, it's not always easy, but it's as simple as admitting that you need Jesus. Admitting that your life apart from Jesus isn't the life you should be living. Believing that Jesus is the son of God that he died for you on a wooden tree shaped in the form of a cross and that he rose again three days later to conquer death and to conquer sin and to bring about beauty and goodness in your life and choose today to say yes to him all the days of your life. If you've made that decision right now, can I tell you all of heaven rejoices and so do we. We would love to come alongside of you to help you as you take this new step of faith in following the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that Lord, that even when we could not be obedient, you were. Even when we could not listen, you did. Even when we could not hold up to the promise we made to God, you could. And because of that, we are now for those of us who have said yes to following you, we are now reconnected to our creator. Father, would you help us become more obedient to your ways? Not, not to be more legalistic, not to be more rules-based, but to be more obedient to who you are and what you've called us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name and the house said, Thank you for listening with us today. You can also watch our video services on YouTube or at summitconnect.org. And check out our show notes to link to our website and follow us on social media. Now go in God's grace and peace. We hope you join us next time.